Hi, everybody. Mike and Kenton here. You should see the shirt Kenton is wearing. <laughs> he he is convinced that Tommy Bahama is still hip, cool, and in. And it so is. And it, it so is for a certain generational age. That is true. And Mike, the wife beater t-shirt, it doesn't work. Okay, so <laughs> it's, not, it's not working for yeah, you. Yeah, but when you got guns like these, bro. <laughs> um, so we are, we are, have been, we're so thrilled to be doing this, continuing the conversation. We're getting lots of, of good feedback. And by good feedback, I mean lots of great questions and lots of folks wanting to continue the conversation from the weekend. This past week, um, we talked about the heavy burden of empty religion and the light yoke of Jesus. And we always just want to start by reflecting a little bit on what God did during the past weekend. So, Kenton, um, where did you see God move? What would you have loved to have talked about more? Were there, was there anything that um, surprised you about how the weekend went? I had a guy walk up to me, and he's been in our church a long time. And he said, I think this series is changing my life. Hmm. And the reason is, I knew that that empty religion I grew up in, I knew that there was baggage. I didn't realize there was so much scriptural support for the deadness of religion. And... He says, I'm feeling it. I am starting to really believe that a lot of those rules and rituals and things that aren't a part of really following Jesus that I absorbed through my life, I am letting them go. So I loved his freedom. And this is a guy that is older. Uh, He's been around the church for a long time. So I really like that. And if I could have talked longer, if we had more time, I love the idea in that last passage about at the end of the day, when we add burdens that ultimately don't matter, they're trivial things, we stop loving people. And when that, that passage that drives that so hard that says, and you don't even love people, and they brought you know, this guy with a withered arm, and Jesus is looking at him and saying, look at what your religion does. It does, you don't even care for people. And I think that's something that, as a church, we need to reflect more on because people in the community, they feel it. They're saying, does the church really love me? Do the people in the church really love me? Do you really care? Or are you really more about your rules, your regulations? You just want to make sure I'm doing things the way you want me. You want me to make sure, you know, believe the whole Bible, believe everything. Believe, and, and they're not sure they're loved. So I like that. How about you? Yeah. No, it's definitely that. I think there's a turn in the message where you go from beating up on the Pharisees and saying, oh, those Pharisees. And then you're talking about the church, right? The yeah. capital C church. And we all have horror stories from the church. And then, right. you know, the religious leaders that are hypocrites. And then you start tracking it into me. And there was, the, there was a moment when we were, we were piling bricks in uh, our backpack and talking about the layers we add, that, that there was this sense of, oh, oh, my goodness, we we love religion for the same reasons they did. Like it's not just it's not just that Jesus hates it, but but it's the flip side of and we really like it better yeah. than than the furious and and relentless grace of God. It's just so much easier for us to grasp. And so for us, I think that was the conversation, the doctrinal things, the cultural, the Christian subcultural things we add on to people. Um, there was, I just got to see one woman who's very new to our community, just silently weeping. And I didn't approach her, didn't know what the story was, but the image that came into my mind when I was looking at her is just bricks that were just being taken off of her, uh, to recognize that it's come to me. And, and there's a certain, like we, because we're all Pharisees and because we have Pharisees around us, there's a certain threat 
that this message was. It was like, I have my sacred cows that I want to put people into, and those were being attacked. So um, I will be uh, very excited to, to hear the questions we get for next week because I, uh, at least the folks I was talking to after the message had lots of them, and we have lots of them this morning. Um, so Kenton, this is for something you must have referred to in your message, and it's a great question. It will lead us into a much broader topic. The question is this. I have a question about the church's position on homosexuality. I know that the Bible teaches us that homosexuality is wrong. Kenton mentioned the position his church took on the civil rights movement when he was a child and how he fears 40 years from now when we look back and how we may see a similar mistake. Uh, Is he alluding to homosexuality? How should we, as Christians, approach friends and peers that are homosexuals? How do we invite homosexuality uh, and he meant homosexuals to church when they feel they are not welcome. So two questions. One is, when you were telling that story, why don't you tell it uh, you know, in a brief way and, and get us up to speed? And, and what did you mean when you were telling it? And then secondly, let's jump from there into the, the issue of homosexuality more broadly. Right. Um, the story, I wasn't thinking about that in particular. When I grew up in the church, when I was 9, 10 years old, my church and that whole division of Christianity. So this was the 30s? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the focus was, you know, my, I was taught don't have playing cards in your house because it might lead to gambling. The dress, my, the length of my hair, that was really important. Not going to dances. It all hmm. very trivial matters and were those burdens that didn't matter. And I was using those as an illustration. And at the same time, my uh, part of Christianity publicly... Uh, went against and condemned Martin Luther King and the whole civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take anyone to look at that and say, we got that wrong. <laughs> you know, we were, you know, we didn't. And in the passage, it says, you don't care about justice and mercy mm-hmm. and fairness or faithfulness. And we didn't. And we cared about our rules and regulations. And I think a lot about in 40 years from now, what will our kids stand up and say, can I, I can't believe that we got so focused on these yeah. issues. Yeah. And I actually think that probably the issues of immigration, treating mm-hmm. the way we treat foreigners, almost doesn't matter how you stand, what you want to say about those things, to not be loving, to not respond. You know, in the Old Testament, even what we're going to talk about this next week, That's right. the idea of not, you know, leaving part of your land so that people can be cared for and being compassionate. And I think that they're going to look back at us in some of those issues and say, really? <laughs> you, you were worried about these issues and didn't worry about those issues. But the issue, the second question they have is this issue about homosexuality, which is talked a lot about. Yeah. And I think that there are things that we don't manage well as a church. Right. But at the same time, I don't think the homosexual community is honest. Mike, yeah. how do you reflect on that? What is your answer? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, the question is brilliant because for a lot of people, this is the issue that they think of when they think of the church missing it. You're focused on doctrinal issues about worship and whether you use hymns or not, and you're missing it on gay marriage. You're missing it on the rights of, of homosexuals who love each other and love God. And so this is a really, really important issue. And it, it deserves a whole conversation by itself. But just briefly, I would say uh, that we think that the, the church has lied to the homosexual community in some really significant ways. We want to own our part in the mess that we live in. And we've lied to the homosexual community by saying it's somehow the worst sin you can commit. And, and we ostracize and highlight and demonstrate against, but put up with 
greed and slander and pride and sexual morality and appropriate divorce and adultery in our midst and yet highlight that. And, and so we just confess our double standard and say, that's a lie. That is a lie. We all fall short. For some people, uh, that plays out in heterosexual immorality. For others, it plays out as homosexual immorality. But it's all immorality. And that's, that's where we've just got to be consistent. We also think the church some, sometimes lies to the homosexual community by saying that following Jesus will turn you into a heterosexual. That just tomorrow, having forgiveness of your sins means that you will be attracted now uh, to someone of the opposite sex and want 4.2 kids in a house in the suburbs. And that just isn't the experience of many, many Christians who've uh, walked out of this issue and the biblical testimony itself. We still wrestle with the old self. We, there's still this battle we fight. For some people, I've seen them delivered powerfully, and for others, it's still a struggle. But we think, too, and this is really important, uh, the, the other part of the conversation is just that the homosexual community lies to the homosexual community, too, by saying that your desires are your destiny, that Whatever it is you're feeling is the most important thing, and there's no way you can say no to those things. And we just believe whether it's the desire to gamble, the desire for infidelity, the desire uh, to act out on homosexual impulses, we believe that salvation in Christ means those desires don't have to run our lives anymore. And we also believe the homosexual community lies to the gay community by saying your sexual orientation is the most important thing about you. And I know, Kenton, I mean, we both would affirm, and our church affirms, that's just not true, right. that you're made in the image of God, every single person, and so loved and so valued, Christ died for you before you got righteous, before you got it figured out, and that your identity, uh, as you come into a relationship with Jesus, is not grounded in what you do or what you feel, but it's grounded in how God sees you. And so I think we've always wanted to be that kind of community. That's a good answer, Mike. I like the both hand. We lie uh, and I like how you own our lies, and I like the other side, that those are lies too. And I've seen the both sides of it. I think that that's a great way to go at it. Yeah, but, it, we want to be the kind of community where, and wasn't this weekend about that, yeah. where Jesus is on display, and we want to, in the same way the early church did, we want to minimize the number of, of hurdles you got to get over to get to Jesus. We just want to say, nope, it's about him. It's all about him. And right behavior and right belief aren't prerequisites to enter into a relationship with him, but they're yeah. the result of entering in a relationship with him. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so excited uh, that this person asked this question because it, it's such a critical, critical issue. I'm sure we'll come back to it. Um, I, I've got another question from a man who uh, approached me afterwards. And I thought this would be a fun one for us to talk about because he is somebody who works with college-age students. And his question was, how do you and when is it appropriate to do kind of a holy butt kicking when, when um, you know, somebody's in sin and you just need to confront them or they're just being lazy and you, you need to light a fire under them? How do you do that without laying on burdens? So if that was the issue, we want a war against Phariseeism, okay, does that mean we're just quiet all the time? We don't encourage each other, exhort each other? Because Paul certainly exhorted. Right. But how do you see that playing out? The, I think the easiest part of that in asking the question is what to say. I think you get 10 uh, believers in a room and you talk about when there's sin, everybody would go, okay, that's an area of sin. So mm -hmm. we can agree with that. That's an area of sin. Or if somebody is lazy, obviously that's not helpful. So what, what to say isn't hard. Yeah, you know, that's, if it's clear in Scripture, that's, that's right, what we're going clear. with. But how to say it is a piece of <laughs> art because 
you can't just give an answer that answers every how. Somebody that's got a sensitive spirit and is struggling with an area of sin in their life, and they're trapped by it, mm-hmm. and there's shame, and there's guilt, and there's mm-hmm. brokenness, and you come in and go, that's wrong. That's just wrong. Well, okay, that's wrong. But how are you going to help them? And, right. and what are you going to do? And do then you, you lift take, a finger? Yeah, that's right. Do you lift, lift a finger, finger to, help them? to help them? And you want to be loving and compassionate, and for mm-hmm. that person, they're probably motivated to change. They don't know how to change. That's good. And giving them a how and giving them a roadmap with a lot of grace. Then there's people on the other end of the spectrum that are going to be in that place of rigid, and I'm not sure what that it's wrong, and even if it's wrong, other people are wrong too. And That's in right. that place, That's right. you're going to have to come, and you're going to have to hit them hard and say, you know what, this is wrong, and you're going to have to deal with this. And there's a hardness of your heart. And the hardness of heart is probably as destructive in this person's life as that's right. You know the, the, the belief, yeah, and right. they're resistant against it. So I don't know that there's some easy answer to say, okay, here's what you do in every situation. Right. I think that we hold powerfully to Scripture. We don't ever minimize it, but we don't beat people with the truth. It's grace and truth, and yeah. so. We've got truth, and we can understand what God's Word says, and we hold that. But how we come at people with truth that's right. is going to, that spectrum is so wide. Really, I don't know how to answer it other than that's a place where I've got to, I've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's never my job to be the Holy Spirit. It's, good. it's the Holy Spirit's right. job to convict somebody of mm-hmm. sin, to begin to talk to them how they're supposed to respond to it. When I believe that I know what they should be doing, it specifically is kind of dangerous. And so I come at it with a lot of prayer and a sense of, on this spectrum, what is it exactly that they need to move forward on? I think that is really, really uh, important. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. And isn't that how Jesus did it, right? Here's mm-hmm. the woman caught in adultery in the very act right. and go and sin no more. Right. And here's the rich young ruler justifying yeah. himself and proud and... Here's, here's some law. So I think you're, you're brilliant in that. And the one thing I would add to it is that Paul, when you look at Paul's letters as a whole, and don't just read them as little devotional nuggets, he invariably goes to commands only after he spent time talking about your identity in Christ, what God's done for you. So the commands come after, and that's the difference between self-help and religion uh, and what Jesus offers. Self-help and religion at their worst are just, here's what you've got to do. What Jesus says is, here's what I've done, now grow up into it. Live as if this were true. Your identity is secure. Um, you're not going to be snatched out of my hand. But why do you want that? Why do you want that? I've saved, I've, I've delivered you from that. And I think if we come at people that way, in the ways that you're saying, I think that's a really powerful and freeing thing. So, more questions that we didn't we get more, to? We have five more questions, Mike. We do. We They're going to take us off the air. We'll just talk about those answers by ourselves, and you'll have to hear them next week. <laughs> All right. Well, we love you guys. We are praying for you as Mariner's Church community uh, that God is meeting you in powerful, powerful ways. And uh, come this weekend. We've got uh, a powerful weekend um, to talk about God's heart for the poor and the needy and why that matters to him so much. So God bless you guys. Great. Bye.